0: The Torah says in chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, let me read it for you in Hebrew. Vayomer Adonai el Avram, Lech lecha mi'artzecha, U'mimoladadacha, U'mibet avicha el ha'aretz asher arecha, Ve'e'ethcha lo'goi gadol, Ve'avrechecha ve'agdala shmecha v'hayye bracha, Vaavar acha, mevarah hecha, um kalelecha, a or, venever hu, vecha mishpachot, ha Adama. In the English it reads from the CJB, quote. Now Adonai said to Avram, get yourself out of your country, away from your kinsmen, and away from your father's house, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make of you a great nation, I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you are to be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, but I will curse anyone who curses you, and by you all the families of the earth will be blessed." Now, the opening monologue from Hashem, containing both directives and promises, is packed with some very important facts that affect every man, woman, and child who will be born from here on out. To be sure, it still affects everyone today. How so, you might ask? Well, allow me to conduct a word study. We, Christians, have been taught, many times over, hopefully, that Genesis chapter 12, verses 1-3, through is referring to the ultimate blessing that Avram would be once his ultimate righteous heir was born. Now the Torah makes it perfectly clear that this righteous heir is none other than Yeshua ben Yosef, ben David, ben Avraham. You can reference Matthew chapter 1 to make sure. But our usual sermons focus on the latter part of verse 3, where it says, Through you all the nations of the earth will be blessed... I want to call attention, however, to the first part of verse 3. So let me read the whole verse for you, alright? Quote, I will bless those who bless you, but I will curse anyone who curses you, and by you all the families of the earth will be blessed. End quote. That's Genesis 12.3. Now, in our verse here, um, Hashem promises to bless those who bless Avram. The Hebrew word used both times for bless in my commentary there. Um, I'm sorry, both times for blessed in the original Hebrew, is the root word Barach, and it literally means to bow the knee. This promise is is understood to be extending to his offspring as well, which I'm going to say are the Jewish people for my commentary. Now, I understand that I've spoken elsewhere that Israel is actually comprised of Jewish people as well as non-Jewish people. But for the sake of my commentary, I need to focus on the Gentile set. I need to single out... I'm sorry, not the Gentile, the Jewish set. I need to set the Gentiles aside for a split moment and just focus on um, the the national. Um, I'm sorry, the natural offspring of Jacob for a moment. So we've seen that many peoples of the world, symbolically and physically, have actually blessed Avram, just like the verse promised. To be sure, we don't hear of many individuals actually, um, how shall we say, cursing Avram or his offspring, the Jews. Now, a few unmentioned exceptions do exist. In our day, there are people who genuinely hate Jewish people, and I'm not even going to talk about them. But from Hashem's perspective, He, God, has set up a divine sort of what I call cause and effect here. And here's how it works. If you, a non-Jew, bless Avram, or his offspring, then in return, I will bless you. That's kind of simplistically how the verse seems to work. But the really interesting fact is found in the Hebrew word translated as curse. We already talked about the Hebrew word for bless, being barach, from where we get the word baruch. In the first instance of the verse, the word translated curse in our bud translation, uh, which, by the way, is from the CJB, um, the uh, word cursed comes from the Hebrew word arar, that's A-R-A-R, And here's what Strong's lexicon and concordance have to say about this word. Quote, Arar, which is Strong's number 779. It's a primitive root, and it's used 63 times, 62 times it's translated curse, and once it's translated bitterly. Uh, It goes on to say that it means to curse, cursed be he. Um, To be cursed, cursed, lay under a curse, put a curse on. To be made a curse, be cursed. Now... After we look at that um, list of definitions... Or word usages there from Strong's... We realize that this is some heavy language. Cursed. Lay under a curse. Put a curse on. And especially when we realize that this promise... Or this um, statement as it were... Is coming from the sovereign creator of the universe. He is speaking these words... But the second word translated as curse in our verse is surprisingly not the same as the first. That's right. The original word this time is taken from the root word kalal. In fact, in our current parashah portion of, of uh, Genesis chapter sixteen verse four, um, it translates this word kalal as quote contempt, and that's what happens when it. Uh, that's how it describes um, the feelings that. Um, Uh, uh, that exists between Sarai and Hagar. um, After um, Sarai realizes that Hagar is uh, uh, bearing Avram's children, Um, there's contempt between them. Here's what Strong's lexiconic concordance have to say about that word, kalal. It's Strong's number 7043. It's also a primitive root when I look up the word kalal. Um, It means... 39 times it means curse, 5 times it means swifter, 5 times it means light thing, 4 times it means vile, 4 times it means lighter, 3 times it means despise, twice it means abated, twice it means ease, twice it means light, twice it means lighten, twice it means slightly, and then there's 12 other miscellaneous miscellaneous usages for a total of 82 Um, The dictionary part of Strong's goes on to define that word thusly, quote, be slight, be swift, be trifling, be of little account, be light, be abated, to be trifling, to be swift, show oneself swift, to appear trifling, to be too trifling, be insignificant, to be lightly esteemed, to make despicable, to curse, to be cursed to make light or lighten, to treat with contempt, bring contempt or dishonor, to shake, to whet, to shake oneself, be moved to and fro. End quote. Now, I hope this list is a shocker because we usually find ourselves thinking this way, right? As a believer in Jesus Christ, I would never meaningfully curse Abraham or his offspring, the Jewish people, uh, the Jewish people, because I understand that my spiritual heritage is forever bound up in their lineage. End quote. That's usually how we find ourselves thinking, and I hope that that is true. However, the shocker, and I'm not trying to offend anyone here, but the shocker is that according to the words used for curse in the verse above. It's my understanding that many well-meaning believers just might be unknowingly cursing Avram and his offspring. In fact, if I were to translate this verse along its literal lines, inserting the word curse there, where we've just discovered how it is uh, defined, I believe that the verse would read something like this. This is my adaptation. Okay, you ready? Here we go. Quote, I will bless those who bless you, but I will curse anyone who despises, makes of little account, lightly esteems, thinks insignificant of you, and by you all the families of the earth will be blessed. End quote. Sounds a lot different now, doesn't it? Wow, that seems to explain the verse in a whole different light. And so it should, for that is what I believe the verse is alluding to. So allow me to elaborate. All right, again. I am not trying to offend my Christian brothers and sisters who listen to my podcasts. I'm not trying to offend my Christian friends and family members who read my commentaries. What I'm trying to do, simply, is to awaken us to the unknown, uh, possibly unknown notion, that anti-Judaism and anti-Semitism is still alive and well in the church today. And if you know someone who, who has... Um, less than favorable feelings towards Jewish people simply because they're Jewish, then perhaps maybe you can educate them as well. But you might ask yourself, where did all this start? After all, the Jewish people are God's chosen people. Why would anyone wish to wish uh, wish to um, how should we say? Why would anyone wish to to, to, um, uh, to curse them or to to make them lightly esteemed or or to make them insignificant? Well, let's just go back through history for a split second and figure out what happened. Um, this is an over sh- overview. It's, it's just a thumbnail, a, a snapshot. It's not, of course, a complete treatment of the subject. However, in the 4th century, when the organized church decided to divorce herself from her spiritual mother, Judaism, she unwittingly planted the seeds of anti-Judaism. Now, anti-Judaism is not to be confused with anti-Semitism. The former, anti-Judaism, is the dislike or disinterest of Jewishness and Judaism specifically. The latter, anti-Semitism, is the dislike or disinterest in the Semitic race altogether. See the slight difference there? Um, uh, Arabs are Semites. And so someone who's an anti-Semite will dislike Jewish people as well as Arabs. Versus if you meet someone who is not an anti-Semite, but they're merely anti-Jewish, they will perhaps, say, support um, the Palestinians um, push to uh, have their own land at the expense of the Jewish people uh, occupying land as well. So in a, in, a, in a battle between the Jewish people and the Palestinians of sorts, you'll find an anti-Jewish person will opt for pro-Palestinian and uh, anti-Jewish. Judaism in that sense. That's kind of how I see the two differences between the words anti-Judaism and anti-Semitism, where in reality the informed individual realize that both Jewish people as well as Arabs are both Semitic races or Semitic people groups, if I can use the word race there um, carefully. Um, they're both Semitic and in that sense, someone who hates Jewish people simply because they're Semites needs to remind themselves that Palestinians or Arabs peoples are also Semites. So it's just the lessons in nonsense. It doesn't make any sense to dislike people groups uh, simply because they are um, born the way they are. It's just nonsense. And and both, by the way, anti-Judaism and anti-Semitism both fall into the category of violating the verse in examination. And both are disrespectful to Father Avram. Why? Because Avram is a Semite. He's a descendant of Shem, and whether we say Abraham was a Jew, or we say Abraham was a Semite, either way we cannot hate him. All right. Over the centuries, this seedbed of, of hatred has blossomed into a full-grown weed called Replacement Theology. Now, what is Replacement Theology, you might ask? This heretical belief fosters the mistaken idea that, quote, God gave up on the Jews when they corporately rejected his son Jesus and instead adopted the newborn Gentile Church as his chosen people the unfortunate Jews were left to face the curses of the law and the wrath of an angry father while the church inherited spiritually of course most of the blessings and the promises to the Jews as pronounced in the law in quote in a nutshell that's replacement theology now you're probably shuddering at this point, and, and and I hope you are. You should be. Fortunately, this theological framework, this lie, is neither blatantly taught to Christians, not the way I just described it. It's not blatantly taught that way. It's not openly favored by the same, nor is it endorsed by Hashem. However, the damage has been done. The lie has crept in, and feelings are hurt. Bad habits are hard to change. And our Christian community today is lacking of real spiritual depth. Many so-called believers have a superficial relationship with Yeshua. And we owe a significant part of all of this to the teachings that have been passed down from one anti-Jewish generation to the next. Consequently, many Christians are either passive and ignorant when it comes to the Jewish people, and communal support, or they are outright opposed to it. How, I ask myself, can any well-meaning Christian be opposed to supporting the Jewish people? I don't understand it. I'm not saying that we, we, we agree with everything that Israel does. I'm not saying we ad- re- uh, accept all of their f- policies across the board. They have their problems. However, the Jewish people are the offspring of Abraham. For the most part, as best as we can identify them, and because of that position, we are not in a place where we can look down on them. God doesn't give us that uh, opportunity. Okay. The Torah, the prophets, and the writings, the Tanakh, in the Jewish—I'm sorry—in the uh, Christian communities that I'm describing. Unfortunately, not all Christian communities exist this way. Um, I believe that anti-Judaism should be dying. I believe that anti-Semitism should be dying, um, and, in, and in many places it is, where the word is getting out. However, in those communities where they refuse to get on board with the, the truth, uh, the Torah, the Prophets, and the Writings have been relegated to the status of what they call Old Testament. We're no longer under the Old Testament, they say. While the Gospel, in their opinion, enjoys the status of New Testament. Hear how those sound? Old Testament, New Testament. This has a way of causing the Jewish people to appear to appear to be old, outdated and replaced while the church is defined as new, fresh and current. And it's very very sad. Is this not the prevailing attitude of many non-Jews within the body today? Again, I keep making the disclaimer. I know that not every Christian listening to the voice of my podcast agrees about this. In fact, many of you are saying, no, 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 Ariel, we disagree. The Jewish people are not to be um, thought of as old and outdated and replaced. We believe that we are one with Israel and that we have been grafted in to God's olive tree. uh, Reference, Romans chapter 11. And I know that that's true. I know it's true because I receive well-meaning emails from, from many of you for many Christians who say, Amen, Ariel, for preaching the truth, or for teaching the truth, and for exposing the lie. However, the lie is still out there, and many communities still um, harbor and foster this lie. In fact, I can hear their voice ringing in my ears. I've been and met with some of these people. Here's what they say. Quote, your people prove difficult to positively influence with regards to the good news in Jesus, is what many of them say. In other words, Jewish evangelism is hard, they tell me. Yes, Jewish evangelism is weak, understaffed, or in the few cases where churches have tried, eventually abandoned. Because of this attitude. And even if not intentional, this type of spiritual ignorance still feeds the replacement theological bias. How? In that no one is made aware enough to put an end to it. Nobody speaks out against it. In other words, in my opinion, this ignorance has gone on far too long. And it's time we put a stop to it. That's why I'm teaching commentaries like I'm teaching today. This is why Purim is such a valuable lesson for us today. Because there are places in the world where people still hate the Jewish people. And why do they hate them? Just because they're Jews. For no other reason. If anything else, that's demonic. I don't know how else to describe it. Why would you hate a people group just because they're different than you? It's just nonsense. Let's move on. This next section in my commentary is entitled Tikkun Ha'olam: Repairing the World. Hoi! What can be done to undo some of the damage and help repair the split between Avram's offspring and the Church? It's a monumental task, and to be sure, you and I are not going to be able to solve it in our lifetime. No, I believe we can simply um, get on board the move of the Holy Spirit to change the attitude of many people groups, not just people of the world, but particularly people in the church, because one day Messiah is returning. And guess what, people? He's a Jew. So if you hate the Jews, you're you're predisposed already to hate the Messiah. More information than I can post in this format is available to anyone who seriously wants to answer this timely and important question: How can we help i'm going to only provide you, the listener, with some background or just some light groundwork, okay These are just my opinions. first of all, begin to pray about getting actively involved in the current move of the rural Kakodesh, the Holy Spirit to bring about a genuine Heartfelt love for Avram's offspring from the church. Ask Hashem to reveal to you your heart. Ask Him to forgive you if you've unknowingly harbored these types of thoughts towards Avram's offspring. You know, God is still in the business of forgiveness, and He can forgive you. He wants to forgive us. What my brothers, according to the flesh, need, the Jewish people, is they need to experience the genuine mercy of Hashem as displayed through you, your honest concern and support. Those of you listening who have second thoughts about the Jewish people, but after listening to my commentary, you're rethinking those things, ask Hashem to begin to reveal to you your spiritual heritage traced through faithful Avram and continuing through to his offspring, the Jewish people. You're going to find that according to Romans chapter 11, just to name a good starting point, that you also have some obligations to the root that supports you. That's taken from Paul's um, teaching there. Yes, we, the grafted in branches, if I can include myself in there now, we cannot boast against the natural branches. We cannot. Paul already foresaw by the Spirit that it was going to take place, even in his day. And yet today we have the boasting. It's a shame. In fact, while I'm on that topic, let's just go back in time to Paul's day and talk about how he envisioned the non-Jewish people being grafted into the, the existing olive tree, which of course is a picture of Abram's family, his offspring. Okay, Nearly 1900 years ago, the Apostle Paul, which is also known as Rav Shaul in some of my writings, he found himself being challenged by the risen Yeshua on a most important mission. Our Lord chose to commission this Pharisaic Jew with an urgent message to the Gentiles, let's pick up his message in Romans chapter eleven, verses is thirteen, seventeen, and eighteen. Okay. Quote, However, to those of you who are Gentiles, I say this: since I myself am an emissary sent to the Gentiles, I make known the importance of my work. But if some of the branches were broken off and you, a wild olive, were grafted in among them and have become equal sharers in the rich root of the olive tree, then don't boast as if you were better than the branches. However, if you do boast, remember that you are not supporting the root. The root is supporting you." Wow, that's a mouthful. There's a whole midrash waiting to happen there, but I can't go there today. However, you would have to agree with me that a most wonderful truth is being discussed here in this passage. What does it mean for Sha'ul to say that the, quote, wild olive tree, which is an allusion to the Gentiles, is grafted into the, quote, cultivated olive tree? Well, the plain sense of the text is not easily confused. Let's examine the main points of Paul's teaching here uh, with a series of bullet points in my commentary. One, two, three, four bullet points. Let's go through them. Number one. Through the efficacious ministry of the Messiah Yeshua, Gentile believers are covenant-bound to Father Abraham's olive tree, which is Israel, thereby making them, the uh, Gentiles, fellow citizens and full participants with the commonwealth of Israel. Read Ephesians chapter 2. This grants them, the Gentiles, the divine privilege of following the whole of the Torah. Bullet point number 2. We in the Torah community believe that Yahweh has written this very same Torah upon the hearts of those Jews and Gentiles who have placed their trusting faithfulness in Yeshua. Reference Jeremiah thirty one thirty one through thirty four, as well as Hebrews eight, seven through twelve. Bullet point number three. We believe that this same Torah is a foundational revelation of the righteousness of Hashem and serves as a description along with along with the rest of the scriptures of the lifestyle of the redeemed community. Reference James chapter one verses sixteen through twenty seven. And then finally, bullet point number four, furthermore, grafted in bespeaks of our affirmation to our true identity as a people, both Jew and Gentile, that is securely rooted in the finished work of Yeshua, the Messiah. Now, let's come full circle and talk about Purim again in my concluding remarks to this commentary on Purim. Haman made a terrible mistake when he pitted himself against God's chosen people. Hashem turned the tables in the very gallows that Haman expected to hang Mordechai on. Well, he himself was hung on. So with joy and gladness, we can celebrate the goodness and mercy of our loving Heavenly Abba. Why, even many of those in that day, if we read the story, became Jews because of the fear or the admonition of this wonderful people of the living God. In fact, read Esther chapter 8, verses 16 and 17, and you'll see that many of the people Jewed themselves, is what the the, the Hebrew literally says. The challenge for us today, listening, is to remind ourselves ourselves that is grafted in believers, Gentile Christians are God's chosen people. Don't make the mistake in saying that the Jewish people are chosen and that we, the Gentiles, are not. No, no, no. We, the Gentiles, have been grafted into Israel, and Israel is chosen. Therefore, those who have, have placed their trust in Yeshua and have accepted God as their God just like the Jewish people claim to have done at Sinai, these Gentiles who have been joined to Israel are God's chosen ones. So, woe to the one who would pit himself against us. Why? Because he might just find himself fighting against the living God of the universe. And you can reference Acts chapter 5, verses thirty-nine and um, 38 and 39 for uh, that information. Why? Because in Messiah, we can victoriously declare just like the psalmist declared in Psalm chapter 3, verses 3 and 4. Quote, Adonai, how many enemies I have! How countless are those attacking me! How countless those who say of me, There is no salvation for him in God! But you, Adonai, are a shield for me. You are my glory, you lift my head high. With my voice I call out to Adonai, and he answers me from his holy hill. Well, I hope you have a happy festival of Purim, Chag Samech Purim, and it is customary to recite this Hebrew blessing upon the conclusion of the reading of the Megillat Esther. Baruch ata Adonai lazman haze Blessed are you O Lord our God King of the universe who has kept us alive sustained us and brought us to this place Shalom That concludes our show for today remember Because the Messiah has already come, the Torah is now a document meant to be lived out in the life of a faithful follower of Yeshua through the power of the Ruach HaKodesh to the glory of God the Father. It should not be presumed that it can be obeyed mechanically, automatically, legalistically, without having faith, without having trust in Hashem, without having love for God or man, and without being empowered by the Ruach HaKodesh. To state it succinctly, Torah observance is a matter of the heart, always has been, and always will be. My name is Torah teacher Ariel ben Lyman Hanavi. The intro and outro song was produced and performed by Ryan Kingsley. For information on contacting Ryan, you can reach me by email At Yeshua613 at Hotmail.com That's Y-E-S-H-U-A Number 613 at Hotmail.com Or visit our website at GraftedIn.com That's GraftedIn.com